Father, I thank you. I thank you for all of the children here this morning. I ask that you would minister to them downstairs, that their hearts and their minds would be filled with the truth of your word. I ask, Father God, that you would do the same for us up here in this room. I ask, Father God, that you remind us of the sacrifice of your son, that you'd help us, Father God. Holy Spirit, deal with the things we've brought with us today that we would be able to yield to you and to have our faith set and resting upon the truth of your word. I ask, Father God, that you would continue to use us as individuals and as a church in this community to demonstrate the greatness and the glory of your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. Let's go back to um, 1 Peter. We're in chapter 2 this morning. I'm going to read the passage just so that you know. I hope that you're all reading this, this book um, this week again in preparing. One of the things I do to prepare for a sermon is I just keep reading the passage, but I read the whole book. Context matters. This is so much for us in this time. First Peter is amazing in its application for the time in which we live. Let's read today's passage, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 5. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In this passage, Peter begins with a therefore. And that therefore takes us back to all of chapter 1 and specifically to where we were at just before the chapter break. 1 Peter 22 and 23, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding word of God. And last week, I'm going to put another plug in. We looked at this, and this, this sincere love of the brethren. Do you love other believers in Christ? And that was a big part of, of where God had us last week. And I want to remind you that one of the places that we need to see that love demonstrated is how we serve within the body of Christ. This morning for first service, we had one tech person. His name is Nathan. Wow. I, I'm going to say it was stressful for him. He, he looked all calm and totally under control, but, but he did it all back there. That, that's not where we want to be. If you love the body of Christ, then I'm asking that you consider serving. Serving back there in tech would be huge right now because we have a lot going on because we stream and we do the slides and, and we do the, the sound. All of that works together. So please consider that. I'd like to be able to have enough, enough tech people so that somebody's doing it once a month. That's not a huge task. 
and it's really not that difficult technologically. So that's, that's my advertisement. There's other places to serve as well. Find where God wants you to be. If you're interested in the, the tech stuff, see Nathan. Nathan's in the back. Um, you can all turn around and look at him if you want, but that would embarrass him. We'll, we'll plug you in and get you busy. Do you love the body of Christ? So where that, that passage in 1 Peter 22 and 23 took us was the idea of the new birth, purifying our souls from the word of God. The new birth and the progressive transformation of believers that occurs after the new birth is through the word of God. It's the word that saves us. It's the word that transforms us. Jesus said in John 15, 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So the word is very important. And the spoken word, if you were in the presence of Jesus in the first century and he was speaking to you face to face, that would be the spoken word. But now we understand this scripture to be the spoken word. Because of the transformative power of the word of God, Peter gives us specific exhortations. He begins with putting aside. And he put, put aside and he lists some sins. And putting aside is a term that literally meant to strip off soiled garments. And every time I come to this word, when I study the Bible, this word, I go back to the farm and raising pigs. And, and the, I heard a chuckle already because you know where I'm going. We had two sets of clothing on the farm. The normal stuff that we could wear anywhere and do anything with, and then the hog clothes. You cannot get the smell of hogs out of clothing, right? My wife is an expert at raising hogs. She really does really good with laundry too, but not with hog clothes. Because then the, then the, then the washing machine would smell like hogs, so you just didn't bother. But what you would do, you know, what you had to do is you had to wear that, that gross stuff to take care of the hogs. And then you would take that stuff off and you'd deal with that separately and, and you'd put other stuff on. That taking stuff off and setting it aside, that's what that word means. Setting aside. Setting aside. It, it was a term that meant to take a garment off, put it away, and it always alluded to you're going to put something else on. In this verse, Peter then lists five specific sins that we're to put off. Malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. He begins with malice. Now, this, this is not an all-inclusive list, but as you go through these, you, you discover that they cover much more than just a single sin. Malice is a good example of that because the Greek term here referred to uh, an all-inclusive general wickedness. So this is, this is covering a lot of territory. It, it meant general wickedness, evil, just plain being evil. So it covered a lot of sins just with that one term. The next term is deceit. And this literally was a term that was used for bait or a fish hook. And the idea here is, is actually one of dishonesty, falsehood, and fraud. As many of you know, I, I really enjoy fly fishing. 
And in fly fishing, you, you tie a little pattern, you know, and you're trying to imitate an insect. And, and over the, the years, I've used all kinds of different flies. And along came an idea, and I, I designed my own. It's called the B bar W, and it's been very successful. But it's fraudulent. It's a fraud, the whole thing. All of fly, all of fly fishing is one big fraud and deceit. And the reason I say that and the reason it helps us understand this term is because what you do is you, is you tie a fly to imitate an insect. So it's fraud. It's, it's a fraudulent insect. It's not the real insect. And then you, you put it in the water fraudulently. You're trying to make it imitate. You're trying to make it like something that it isn't. You're being deceptive fraudulent. You've got a deceptive insect fraudulently placed in the water. Why? To deceive the fish. And if you can deceive them fraudulently, that deceit, if they sucker in for the deceit, then you get lunch or dinner, right? So that, that idea of deceit has all to do with falsehood and fraud. Put that aside. The third term is a little bit related. It's hypocrisy. And this term was originally used to describe the actors of the day who would almost always wear a mask in their, their acting out a character. What this refers to is behavior that's not genuine. Most often this is understood as behavior that doesn't match what is believed or proclaimed. You say one thing, but you live a different way. That's hypocrisy. Jesus forcefully used this term to describe the Pharisees. He called them hypocrites because they would say one thing and they would live another way. The fourth term Peter tells us to put aside is envy. Envy is the resentment and the feeling of displeasure caused by seeing or hearing of the prosperity or advantage of another person. We have none of that going on in our society, do we? It's, right. Well, envy, envy is very dangerous because it leads to bitterness and conflict. I don't like the fact that you have something that's, that's better than what I have. God seems to love you better than me. Envy. Put it aside. The last sin that Peter mentions is slander. This comes from a Greek term meaning to speak evil. It was used to describe gossiping and backbiting. Not that any of us have ever done that or experienced that, right? Not in the church. There's no gossiping in the church. Oh, yeah, there is. Put aside that kind of slander that's speaking evil about someone. Now, even though Peter only lists these five all sin hinders our desire for God and our desire for God's word. Peter's intention here isn't just to identify these precise sins. His idea, his intention is to help us understand that sinfulness of any kind takes a person away from the truth of God and away from what confronts our sin and provides a mean of growing in righteousness. Sin keeps you from being who God wants you to be in Christ. The word, 
the word there in Greek, putting aside, is written as a command. He's writing this to believers. So this is a command for believers. God's people, what is intended in this passage is for God's people to use Scripture to fight sin, to go, grow in righteousness and deal with the difficulties in life and to glorify God. This is all about our lifestyle and this is all about who we are and what we do. And it centers around Scripture. The believer's desire for Scripture is vital to successful Christian living. It's also vital to managing the difficulties of living in our deteriorating society. This society that we live in today is not going to get better. So how are you going to deal with it? One of the things that helps us do that is, foundationally, God's Word. I don't know what you all brought here with you today. I don't know what struggles you're, you're carrying with you. Maybe you're hurting inside because of what your wife said or your husband said. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just, just plain having a bad day, but you came to church. I don't know what you're carrying with you. Maybe you're just higher than a kite and you're just, I'm in heaven. That's okay too. If we're going to deal with life, we want to deal with life with the truth. And the truth we're going to find is God's Word. So our love for God's Word is paramount. It's foundational. Paul states the love for God's Word in believers this way in Romans 7.22. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Joyful. Joyfully concur. Job. Uh, job. Job endured some of the most intense trials that we see in, in Scripture. And he says this, Job 23, 12, I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. His life was terrible and miserable, and yet he recognized what was most important, the words of God. In the first psalm, the psalms begins with, with this idea of what it, what it means to be blessed. And that blessing, according to the second verse of the first psalm, is this. To be blessed. A person's delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. You want to be blessed? Be in the word. Psalms 19 gives us a, a wonderful description of, of this idea of longing for God's Word. Psalms 19.10, they are more desirable, they are, meaning God's Word, God's commands, more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb, greater than gold, much gold. When I see much gold, my mind can wander. Just how much do you want? God's word is worth more than that. Psalms 119 is, is one of the most incredible places to see this idea of, of desiring God's word. And, and it repeatedly proclaims the believer's love and delight for God's word. And it does it with statements like this. I love your law. I delight in your law. I rejoice in your law. Those phrases are repeated throughout the longest psalm. In verse 2, back in 1 Peter chapter 2, 
actually, it's it's the whole whole passage, but specifically in in verse two, he talks about longing. Long for what does that mean? It's from an imperative verb, and, and some of you, an imperative. What, what? Okay, so what that means is you're going to do this, and it's also written in such a way that it's intense. There's an intensity with this. Long for means to desire, crave strongly, and with intensity. The Septuagint, which is the translation of the Hebrew um, into the Greek, so the Old Testament in Greek, uses this same word in, in probably one of my favorite Psalms. Psalms 42, 1, verse 1. As a deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. There's this craving, there's this desire, and, and th- this Psalm really affects me in many ways because my mind goes back to the most difficult of all my backpacking trips, back when I was doing that a lot, when both knees worked all the time, and I was younger. It's the hardest trip I ever had. It's the longest. And we, we ran into some real difficulties in, in what we had originally planned. And because we ran into the difficulties, we had to make a huge detour and that detour took us through parts of the forest that had no water. The intense craving for water in the last two hours of that trip were intense. Our bodies hurt. My legs hurt. My back hurt. My shoulders hurt. We were aching. But that was not what was most intense. What was most intense was the craving for water. I want something to drink. The longing for God's word is an intense, reoccurring, insatiable, consuming passion for God's word. There, there are some times when we may have had something like this in our life. It might have been a, the strong desire for loved ones that we've been separated, separated from, maybe by distance or conflict or death. Or maybe we, we feel this kind of longing for someone we love deeply, but we know they don't know Christ, and, and we, we struggle and we long for them to come to Jesus. In this passage, in First Peter, this intense desire, he says, is for the pure milk of the word. That's foundational. And, and what does he mean by pure milk? The term pure in the, in the first century was used agriculturally to describe food, wine, oil that had been purified so that it was edible. We don't think much of that in our culture. They, they didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have a lot of the conveniences we have. So, so they, they were careful about their food. So there were certain things they had to do to, to make sure that it was edible. The pure milk is connected then by Peter to a newborn. And the, the terminology that he uses specifically is for a newborn. An infant that just came from its mother's womb. And what does it want? It wants the uncontaminated source of nourishment that can only be had from mother's milk. 
moms get this easier than us guys. Peter's analogy, this is an analogy that's very important for us. It's the longing, the desire, the craving of milk by a newborn. It's the desperate hunger for mother's milk that dominates the infant that has just emerged from the womb. That infant is not wondering about whether or not it's a blue blankie or a pink blankie. What it wants is mama's milk, period. That's it. When it cries and screams, what does it want? It wants mama's milk. Ladies, am I, am I okay here? I watched it with five of my kids. I mean, you know. Now, we have to be careful with this analogy. Many times I've heard in my life some who have taken this analogy and used it improperly to teach that Peter is meaning this this is just a new believer's thing. This is talking about those who have just come to Christ. That's not what this is. This is not a teaching about how immature believers need the nourishment of the word. That's not what he's teaching. He's not teaching that because they are so young in Christ, they need the things of the word so that they can mature. That's not what he's talking about. He's using an analogy that is for all believers, no matter how long they have been saved. It is an analogy commanding believers to desire the Bible like a newborn desires mother's milk. Is that how you view the word? We are commanded in Scripture, we are commanded in Acts 17 to search the word. We are commanded to read and teach the word in 1 Timothy 4. We are commanded to study and, and preach the word, 1 Timothy 2. We are commanded to meditate on the word, Psalm 19. We are commanded to teach the word in several places in Scripture. And Paul commands that we use the word as a sword, as a weapon. And in Psalm 119.11, we're commanded to hide, or another way you could translate the word there is to treasure the word in our heart. To get it inside of us and hold on to it. And all of those are true. All of those are commands. All of those are essentials. But what Peter is teaching in 1 Peter 2, verse 1 and 2, is foundational to all of the others. This is foundation stuff. This comes before all the others. We are commanded to desire the Bible like a newborn desires that first nourishment from mom. Crave the Bible like your life depended on it. Long for scripture like you would have, have if, if you have never eaten a meal. Crave only the pure milk of the word. The word is more important than any other source of nourishment. There isn't anything like it. I like to read. I've never known a day, really, in my life without reading. Mom prepared us to read before we went to kindergarten. Kindergarten was kind of a bore. I've always read. And I always seem to have several books going on at one time, which sometimes drives my wife crazy. Like, how can you do that? How can you have seven books going at one time? I just do. 
I read all kinds of stuff. I read articles from the internet, internet. I read all kinds of different books. I even read things I don't agree with. And I encourage people to read and to read lots of stuff. But there is nothing more important than reading the Bible. If you want to grow as a believer, you're not going to get it from whoever your, your favorite Christian author is. It might help you, but the real transformation is going to come by reading God's Word, getting into the Bible. And quite frankly and honestly, you aren't going to know if somebody's lying to you in a book if you haven't been in the Word of God. You want to know what the truth is? Go to the Word of God. Get the Word of God so fixed in your mind and in your being that you know when somebody says something or writes something and it's wrong. Get in the Word. The point that Peter is making is that there should be a desperate, passionate, unending craving for the Bible in every believer. Peter's purpose is to help us. He wants us to do this because he, he wants us to be strong, growing Christians in a world that is hostile and growing more hostile to God and the church. You want to deal with the... I almost said crap. Oh, now I have. You want to deal with the things that are going on in the world today? You need the Word. You need the Word of God. You need the Bible. And Peter wants to help us, so he commands us to do what would be the most beneficial. Crave the pure milk of the Word of God. In verse 2 and 3, Peter also writes that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Believers have this desire for the Word because they remember what the Word of God has done. It has saved us. If you're a believer, if you're saved, if, you, if you're going to heaven and you know it, you know it because of the Word of God. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the Word... Of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to, to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. What's the power of God? The Word. How did you come to Christ? The greatest moment, the most monumental, incomparable event ever to occur in your life. If you're a believer, the greatest thing is your salvation. How did you get saved? How did you come to salvation? The gospel was proclaimed. How do we know what the gospel is? It's from the word. It's God's word. It's his words presented to you. You were saved through the word of God. The Bible is the only source that has the message of salvation. The Bible has the message of living a fruitful life. The Bible is the source God uses to transform us from black-hearted, wretched sinners into powerful, successful men and women of God. It's the power of the Word. Paul calls the Bible the Word of life. 
Philippians 2.16. The author of Hebrews calls the Bible sharper than any two-edged sword. That's sharp. It's teasing with Ryan, you know, messing with our knives, you know, guys around the hunting camp, you know, sharpening knives, you know, which one's sharper? God's word is sharper. Sharper than anything you've got. Brothers and sisters, honestly, do you want to experience the works of God? You, you want to see God do just amazing things? Supernatural, amazing things that only God can do? Do you want to deal with the difficulties of this life and overcome discouragement? I don't know how... I'm, I'm preaching to myself because I've, I've gone through a time of a lot of discouragement. You want to get past that? You, you want to overcome whatever fears in your life? Whatever hurts you're carrying? You need the Word of God. The Word of God is what's going to do that. You need the Scriptures. You need to be able to go to the Scriptures, to the Bible, and that's where God will help you with those areas of life. You want those things? Then crave the Word. Long for the Bible. Desire Scripture. There is no other source with the power to take you forward spiritually. There is no other book there is no television program. There's no emotional or mystical experience that will transform your life. Transforming your life and being more of a believer and greater in your spiritual walk comes from the Bible. Comes from knowing Scripture. Spending time there. I honestly think that a lot of believers come to Christ. They get excited about Jesus. And they read the Bible. And they struggle with places, you know, where it's just unpronounceable name after unpronounceable name. They go, what in the world is this? And they read through the Bible. And then for all of their life as a believer, they go, yeah, I read that book once. Just like they might read a good novel. Or even a bad novel. Yeah, I read that that one time. That's not what Peter is getting at. Be hungry. For God's word. There is no way you can ever read scripture enough. That's what will transform your life. That's what will empower you to go through this life. Go to the word. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord. That's spiritual growth. And that kind of spiritual glory to glory comes from the power of the Word of God. We can say, oh, yeah, well, part of that's fellowship. Yeah. We could say it's prayer. We could say that. We could do that. But the actual transformation that God does within your heart is going to come from what he says. From scripture. The most foundational component then of spiritual growth. Most foundational component to grow spiritually is an unending, passionate, desperate desire and craving for the Bible. That's huge. Peter links this longing for Scripture to something else. 
The two are, are linked together. He goes on. He talks about privilege as a believer. Verse 4, 1 Peter chapter 2. And coming to him as to living, a living stone rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is actually fabulous. This is actually amazing. This also, in the time when Peter wrote this, would have been incredibly radical. And especially to the Jews, they would have hated Peter for writing this. The reality of the situation when Peter wrote this was that pagan religions were everywhere. You go anywhere in the history, first century, geographically, historically, paganism was everywhere. Priests and priestesses were common in every city. And these priests and priestesses were considered an elite class of humans who could pass from this world into the world of the gods and communicate with the various gods. The reality is those priests and priestesses were the intermediaries of gods that were carved out of rock and wood by human hands. Total frauds. But Peter here is calling every believer a holy priesthood. Precious in the sight of God. This is the word transforming us. This is God's word to us. You are, as a believer, a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood. Because the believer's life has been perfectly cleansed by the blood of Jesus, every believer, every believer has total unrestricted access to God. Do you live your life that way? You have total unrestricted access to God. The living stone, Peter mentions, is God. The living God, the creator of the universe. And you're to be a living stone as well. The pagan gods were dead stone. Nothing more than rock carved by human hands. He's he's making a contrast. We who believe have access to the one true God, the creator of of the universe, the sustainer of life. And in that part of this passage, coming to him is from a verb that literally means to come next to, to to come near, really near. What it means is that believers are able to be in the very presence of God. And the form of the verb that's used there means that we, we come into this place with him habitually. It's not just a one-time kind of deal. Yeah, I did that, you know, last Thursday afternoon. This is like any time, all the time, this is the way we live. I'm going to God. I'm going to be in His presence. We are habitually in His presence. That's wow. Another reality that this takes us to is that if you look at the history of the church and many individuals in the church, you discover that they have taught that life is a war. Paul taught us that. 
and teachers throughout the history of the church have taught us. This life is a war. And some of you, you know, you ever feel like you just battle every day? The greatest battle in this war is the war of thinking and desire. We could, we could name all kinds of things that we want to fight. But the battle really, the, the real battle occurs in our thinking and our desires. Are you being built up by the Word of God? Is that, is, is that how you live? Are you living as a living stone? Are, are you dealing with life by, by coming into God's presence? The answer to those questions rests upon this foundation that Peter has laid. Solely upon one thing. And that one thing is, are you longing for God's pure word? Is that, is that where you go? The, the most important, vital battle you or I will fight in this life is the battle for the desire, the craving of God's Word. There isn't, a, there isn't a greater battle, really. So how do we do that? How do we have this incredible craving for God's Word? How do we long for the milk of the Word? So I have five ideas for you to take with you. The first one is to pray. The word of God and prayer go together. Psalms 119 verse 18 says it this way. This is a prayer. You could turn this into a daily prayer. The psalmist cries out and he says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. We could alter that just a little bit that I might behold wonderful things from your word. Make that your prayer. Second, continually, as you go through your day, remind yourself of who Christ has made you. Who has Christ made you? You are a new creation in Christ. Jesus died to give you a new life. In that new life, you are expected to grow and mature and, and, and to be in him and and it's part of that new life that we cherish, crave the word. Remind yourself. I think for many of us, we get hung up in all of the stuff, all of the difficulties of life, and we forget who we are. Who are we in Christ? <laughs> God sees us as righteous. We, we've been bought and purchased. Remind yourself of who you are. Third, Admit your need. This one's huge. We live in Wyoming. And in Wyoming, we don't need any help from anyone else. If you notice that, we're independent. We can do it. We have this independent tendency in nature. It's huge here. It's a part of what makes us Wyomingites who we are. So it's difficult for us to go, I have a need. 
admit that we are just like a newborn craving mother's milk. Admit you are desperate for spiritual nourishment from the Bible. Admit that. Four. Pursue what works. So, so what does that mean? It's, it's, in some ways, it's kind of simple, but get in the word. You, you got to do it. So, so how do you do it? You, you set a time. You choose a place. That's important. You make a plan. Maybe you find one on the internet. Maybe there's one in your Bible. You can stop by the office. I'll help you with one. Make a plan. I'm going to read these verses this week or the day or whatever. And the most important part of pursuing what works is start. So many times we go, yeah, that's, that sounds really good. I, I understand. I hear you, Pastor. But we don't start. And what follows that is be determined to keep reading. Between the services, I was thinking about watching calves. And I, I remember on the farm and We'd, we'd had some calves, and I had some cows that were really good, and I had some calves that were really good. But every once in a while, you'd get, you'd get a mama that, yeah, you don't improve, you're going to market. And, and the calf would, would hit the ground, and, and, and the calf starts pursuing a mama. Why? Because it wants that milk. And it, it goes and it butts mama and it, it just... Have you all seen that? They just, just pursue, pursue and pursue and pursue and then pursue. They, they never stop. Our little newborn babies are much the same way, aren't they? Start. Get determined to never, ever Stop. Fifth, battle sin. That's where Peter starts this passage. He says, putting aside all malice. Hate your sin. These two concepts go together because the more you read, the more you spend time in God's word, the more you realize where your sin is at. You, you realize the things you're dealing with or not dealing with. Battle the sin. And the way you battle the sin is by being in the Word. Hate your sin. Use the, the, the Bible to do war against your sinful thinking. I'm preaching to myself. I get to places and times in my life, that's not what I do. And my sinful thinking takes over. It's not pretty. I'm not going to look at my wife. Because she knows. Use the Bible. Use the Word. Use Scripture against your sinful thinking. No matter what it is. Let's be newborns that passionately crave the Bible. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we've ventured out on our own and forgotten your truth. 
Bring us to a new point where we put aside all of our sins and, and, and like that newborn, we just crave your word so much. Holy Spirit, stir us up in such a way that we want more Bible than we want anything in this life. Holy Spirit, give us the courage to start. Give us the courage and the strength to continue. Father, thank you that because you've bought and purchased us by the blood of your Son, we can come into your presence anytime. We're welcome to sit with you and stand with you and, and be right there with you. Transform us that we would be more and more like your son Jesus. Help us to give up our strength for the strength of your word. Nourish us with your word. In Christ's name, amen.